This episode is brought to you by The Romero Group, a full-service property management and investment company based in the Roaring Fork Valley since 2015. Their extensive team of 100 professionals supports their core focus of association and special district management. In addition to property management, they have a vibrant real estate division and recently acquired the Lakota Canyon Development and Golf Course in Newcastle. I can attest they are locally based experts and dedicated members of the community and proud sponsors of Selling the Mountains. Learn more about their services by visiting www.romero-group.com. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Christian Knapp. This is Selling the Mountains, a show about the booming mountain town real estate economy and unique personalities fueling it. Each episode is an insider's perspective on market trends, lifestyle, success stories, and the ups and downs of homeownership in the mountains. Christian Knapp is the former chief marketing officer of Aspen Skiing Company and a lifelong mountain town enthusiast. He is an accomplished marketing and sales leader who has worked for the top resorts in North America, including Aspen, Vail, Breckenridge, and Keystone. Currently, Christian is an independent consultant and principal at Moment of Truth, a boutique marketing firm specializing in brand development, strategic planning, and digital execution. All opinions expressed by Christian and podcast guests are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of the companies or clients they represent. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for real estate investment decisions. My guest today is Theo Williams. Theo was originally from Sheffield, England, and found his way to Aspen after being chosen to coach a local soccer team and build a nonprofit soccer club. He quickly fell in love with the active mountain lifestyle, accepting community, and relaxed culture, which led him to call the Roaring Fork Valley home. His passion for helping people and building lasting relationships, as well as expertise in the hotel and rental industry, led him to real estate. When he isn't working, you can find him pursuing his passion for fitness, hiking, and biking. He was recently honored with the Community Service Award from his brokerage firm, Slifer Smith & Frampton, after biking from Aspen to Santa Monica, California to raise money for the Aspen Hope Center. In our conversation, we covered the challenges of starting out as a new broker and the most important things to focus on, how following your passion and tackling something that seems impossible can lead to bigger opportunities and outreach far beyond what you ever imagined. And lastly, we touched on diversity and tolerance in a mountain town and the importance of speaking up if you don't think something is right. I hope you enjoy this great conversation with Theo. Let's talk for a minute. You know, you are not the standard broker in a mountain community. You're from England. You have an accent and you're also black. You know, we don't live in the most diverse community. Uh, typically, the mountains, towns don't tend to have a lot of diversity. So is that an obstacle or an advantage for you? It's a really funny one. It's, it's tough. So at first, I thought it was, I, I, at first, I thought it was a disadvantage. It was difficult to openly just be myself around people. I thought I had to look at things a different way. I would dress differently, wouldn't talk differently, but maybe act act a certain way. I thought that unless I played golf and drove a Range Rover, then I wasn't really going to do any business here. The more I just wanted to be myself and fit it into what makes me me, um, the, the better it's been for me. I kind of took a step back and I relaxed. I looked at what I can offer differently to other people. I, I really truly believe I care about people more, partly because 
I also need to. I don't have five thousand clients in a database that I can that I can talk to. I, I have maybe thirty or forty or fifty. So I really tend to to care about people. As for um, as for the color of my skin and my accent and how I sound, it's it's sometimes been challenging, as you can probably tell. Talking over the phone is something I have to really think about. I, I talk fast. I sound different. I pronunciation's different. Things like that are just minor things that you incur every day. But it hasn't been anything that is shocking. I think a gentleman I work for who I listed to his properties, I had a good conversation with him and I think he chose me and likes backing me because I'm a little bit of an underdog. I think a lot of people that come here may have made their money. They, they're affluent for a reason. And people sometimes like that little bit of a back in that underdog, that fight in someone. And it's different. It's exciting to go with someone different. So it hasn't been an issue. I still get funny questions all the time. People are often surprised that I can ski, which always baffles me. I often joke that I am the best black broker in Aspen, which I win every year, but I believe there's now two of us. Um, so it's, it's, it's changing. Um, there's a few people I work with that I think like it, definitely tend to work with a younger crowd. It's definitely opened some doors for me. I just, I don't know if it's been a disadvantage. I, I haven't seen that. I would also strongly say that if somebody doesn't want to work with me for how I look or how I sound, then it's probably best that I don't work with that person. But I think that goes for all walks of life. Fair enough. No, that's a, that's a great um, perspective on things. You know, you look at the mountain towns in general and they just, they tend to not be very diverse, right? You know, there's a fair amount of Latinos in the area, but um, you don't see a lot of African-Americans or blacks. And so that, that is something that, you know, it's different. And, uh, you know, I really applaud you for getting out there and, and um, being here and approaching this type of business uh, when it might not have been the first thing when you arrived in Aspen 10 years ago, you were here as a soccer coach. Just describe to me, what was, has been your experience being in Aspen, uh, arriving from the UK as a soccer coach? Did you feel accepted here or has there been obstacles and, and challenges along the way? Um, I can definitely say I've always felt 100% accepted here. I definitely stand out. My, my friends joke that I'm a, a little bit of a unicorn. Um, I'm black with an English accent, which is is rare um, in this valley. Um, I think I think there's two of us, but it's it's always been fantastic. It's very um, the, the average person here is very educated. People aren't ignorant here as much as maybe they are elsewhere. When I first came here, I was 19. Um, I was living with host families for a week at a time, so. I worked it out one year. I've stayed with over 40 families in the Valley that have all been willing to host me and take me in. Even when it's not being needed, the generosity of people here has always been great. I would like to think no one is giving me that generosity because of the way I look. I think it's because of who I am, I hope. But I've never had any issues here whatsoever. I just stand out. It's very easy to see me. I like when people try and describe me without using color, which makes me laugh. Um, but it's, it's been fantastic. I, I love it here. It's, um, it's, it's actually the longest place I've ever lived for one period of time. So this is truly my home. 
what was your inspiration for getting into real estate? I know you moved here as a soccer coach and um, probably the furthest thing from your mind at the time when you landed from England was a real estate career. Uh, what was the inspiration? I worked with a lot of kids whose, um, whose parents were, real, were in real estate, whether they were brokers or developers or interior designers, they were in that field. From, from a very far observation, I didn't understand fully what they did. Um, as I got a little bit older, I, I grew a little bit as a person. I explored what it was about and, and really felt like I could do something valuable, do something well. And it's exciting. I worked for a hotel for a while and I got to know a lot of brokers. And without sounding too bold, I believed that I could do it in a better way than they were. So I gave it a go and it seems to be going okay so far. So a lot of the brokers we've talked to in the show so far are very established. There was something like 780 brokers in the Aspen Snowmass area. It's a daunting field to get into, you know, and I, I really admire people that make a go of it. And But how do you stand out in a crowded field like this? And how do you carve out a niche and differentiate yourselves amongst so many brokers? Being new and also not being from here, I don't have things to fall back on, such as I grew up here or... Um, I, I skied with this person and I've known that family for a long time. So it's it's been extremely difficult trying to get my face out there and tr- almost trying to get people to take me serious has probably been the hardest thing. Everyone knows of a broker. Everyone knows there are very well-established, very, very great brokers in the Valley. So maybe convincing is the wrong word, but trying to persuade and show that someone should trust you with their assets and trust you with their finances and that you have their best interests at heart, whilst you're still learning how to navigate what you're actually doing, is definitely the, the toughest part about being a new broker. How important is having a mentor uh, to kind of help you navigate this challenge? It's unquestionably the most important part of it, is having a mentor. If you don't have a good mentor, you're completely lost. There's so many things that go on behind the scenes that you have no idea about, um, it's not in the textbooks. It, it, they don't tell you, hey, it's, it's not just contracts all the time. You are going to have to find ways to put yourself in certain places. You need to ask questions quite a lot. And there's a lot of fear when you get involved. So having someone that you can run ideas to back and forth, for me, has been huge. I've I've had two mentors, both great individually, but I work better with one. And that's totally fine. And my business will double, triple, quadruple because of the guidance that I'm under. How do, how do you go about finding the right mentor in a field like this? You have to really find someone who has your best interests at heart. They need to be able to have enough time that they can dedicate to you. I definitely annoy my mentor and I, and I wouldn't change it for the world. We have a very good, fun relationship that I'm, I'm almost like a, an, an annoying kid or, or brother to him because I, I want his attention, because I want to ask questions and I want to learn. And I think that's important. You also need a, a good mentor who's going to be there, not just when it's real estate related. There's a lot that goes on in real estate, which is about how you conduct yourself as a human and activities that you pursue and times that I, I, I might need to be away from the office. So someone who is a good friend that you can rely on and you can trust. And I think once you have that, just measuring up how they do their business, take away good things and bad things and you you develop into your own broker but i I think it's imperative that you have a really solid mentor especially for the first couple years how does somebody as a new broker how do you tap into your personal network and 
you know, without being pushy and, and how do you approach that sales method uh, with past customer contacts that you've had through other lines of work? I think one of the, one of the funny things for me is I thought, um, I worked at the Viceroy, I coached soccer, I knew everyone, uh, every, everyone that I needed to know, I felt like I had a very good sphere. However, just because you know a lot of people doesn't mean those people will buy from you um, when it comes to real estate. So I was very fortunate enough to meet some some great people who I built a very good friendship with. A lot of older people who see something in me that they either saw in themselves or, or see in someone else that they'd like, that we can have a really good conversation with. I was always open and honest about getting my real estate license with them. So when I actually had my license, they knew I'd, I'd been working on it for a year. Um, I kept them in the loop. I spoke to them. If it was okay to keep them included on my transactions, on how things were going for me, and, and, it, and it was. And I've always remained in touch with those people. For the first nine months of having my real estate license, I still worked at the Viceroy. So I was able to see them and, and have really good conversations with them about what I was doing and how I was learning, maybe things I missed, and just being genuinely myself and trying to be honest and open with them seemed to work so that when it came time to, hey, we're, we're looking for to buy a property, who do I really want to go with? I can go with a broker who is a great broker and just another broker on the, on the mill of 780 brokers that we have in the Valley, or I can give someone a shot. And that's been the feedback I've got. A lot of people really do understand where I'm at with my career, and they're happy to be a part of it, almost sponsor it and promote me in a way that I can't do alone. So they're happy to help me. It's been good. So recently you've transacted and sold a few units in the base village development, one snowmass, I believe. Tell me a little bit about that and uh, how that momentum has continued for you. Yeah, so it's it's actually been a pretty busy start to the year for me. So just quickly, my first year I, I did three and a half million, second year I did three million, and my goal this year was to to double and, and possibly be at eight million. I spoke to my company and um and again a mentor about it and they doubled that goal. So now I'm around fifteen. Uh the first quarter of the year I've closed seven point two. You talked a little bit about your success so far the first quarter of 21 and um, and kind of onward from there. How do you think the rest of 21 is going to unfold for both yourself and the, the brokerage community and uh, what's happening here in Aspen You know, in terms of COVID and, and business levels going forward? So for myself, I'm excited. I'm really motivated. I'm on a little bit of a high right now because of my recent sales. I still have a list in. I have some clients looking at new developments. I have some clients looking at properties down Valley. I, I feel very ambitious about this year. Um, the pandemic in 2020 really, I, I don't like that there was a silver line into the pandemic. It, it's, a, it's a serious issue. However, it caused a lot of people to leave where they live. They needed to get out of there. So it's been great for sales in, t- in terms of people having to be somewhere else. I don't know if that'll carry on. I definitely don't expect it to be as high as last year. But still, there's a lot of traffic, especially in Stomas. Um, now that the county level from red level to orange to yellow is coming down, we're seeing a lot more influx of tourists, which is fantastic. So I believe 2021 will be strong. Maybe not as strong as 2020 on the whole for the general mass. But for, for me individually, I'm ecstatic about this year and really feel like I have a, a, a great look and a great pipeline for 21. 
A lot of people are talking about the challenge of lack of inventory. Is that something that you're experiencing and you see as an issue going forward? Yes. I had some clients, for example, um, I showed property today, which is great. I've been in touch with these people for a month. When we first touched base, I sent them a list of 12 properties that fit their criteria. Today, we were able to see three. And of those three, not a single one of them was even on the market when the original 12. All of those 12 are now under contract. So inventory is scarce. But not only is there not a lot of it, it's, it's hey, it's on the market for a week and now it's under contract. Speaking to other brokers, there's a lot of people buying uh, without actually looking or, or viewing the property in person. It's a FaceTime showing. It's a Matterport. I'm really happy. We need to get out of here. We'll buy it. So it's been extremely difficult to, for me, I, I never want to be pushy, but you're just relaying an honest message that if you don't act quickly, it's not going to be there anymore. Unfortunately, sometimes people have to lose a couple of things to really, for that to sink in. So again, it, it, we could use, we could definitely use more inventory. Um, having work in, sorry, the fact that I do work for Slifer and we represent the base village developments, it allows us to have a and a pocket listing, if you like, of properties that are going to be coming onto the market that just haven't been built yet. So that's always exciting for us, but could definitely use more inventory. What is in the pipeline for East West Partners in the base village development in the next six months? Um, so everything, we break ground on two large projects. So there's the Electric Pass Lodge, and then there's the Havens. So Electric Pass Lodge is 52 um, condominium units. Uh, two bedrooms and three bedrooms, starting at 1.4 up to low three. And then the Havens is 10 individual homes that are right on the hill. So they're across from Venga Venga, um, just in Snowmass. Uh, they start from 5.7, I believe, to 8.5. And actually, I think they have three under contract as of right now. So again, we haven't broke ground on anything just yet. Everything should take around 24 months to complete. Uh, but we're excited. So a lot of your clients obviously do gravitate to Snowmass. Are they looking at Aspen as well, or are they, do they know they want to be in Snowmass? The people that I'm working with, and I, I can't say this for everyone, they know that they want to be in Snowmass. Primarily, um, actually, everyone that I've worked with has had children under the age of 16. The mountain's a little bit more friendly. They enjoy skiing here. They don't need to be downtown Aspen. The parents may jump in a car and go over for dinner, but the family as a whole... It seems like they prefer to be in Snowmass. They know that mountain well. Anyone and everyone that I've worked with in Snowmass have been here before. They've previously rented. A client that I have listings for owns multiple units in Snowmass. So it's been, I haven't had to sell Snowmass as much as I've had to sell the product. And when I've looked at Aspen with some of those clients, it's hard for them to pay that extra premium when they really just prefer to be in Snowmass. However, I will say um, a goal of mine is to try and do more business in Aspen and venture over a little bit into that area and, and learn more about that process. So would you, would you say Snowmass is a bargain compared to Aspen, or is that maybe a misnomer given that you recently set a square footage record at just over 2,000 a foot uh, for a Snowmass property? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's uh, – I, I don't know if I'd use the word bargain, but in, in comparison, it, it, it's less, and it's – it's fun. There's a lot of new inventory. The skiing's fantastic. And you're, you're just not paying the premium to be in Aspen. And I think that appeals to a lot of people. Do any of your clients look at other mountain communities besides Aspen and Snowmass area? 
most of the clients I work with, which again isn't a vast amount of clients, they know Snowmass is, is where they want to be. I haven't had anyone look at Snowmass and then choose another resort. I do have clients that have places in other resorts. But no, I wouldn't say people are looking at Whistler or, or anything in California and then choosing to come here. They know they want to be here. I think having the airport so close and the accessibility it, is superior. It, it makes sense. So a lot of people just prefer to be here. As, as to date, I haven't had to compete with another resort town or anything. If the only one I know people like to mention is Telluride, but it's a, it's a, very, a very different landscape property-wise. Somebody's thinking about getting into real estate in a market like Aspen and Snowmass. You know, should they get into real estate? Or, you know, and what advice do you have for them if they are going to do it? Um, I, I mean, I should say no, because the more people that get into it, the more competition. But yeah, go for it. But I think one of the biggest things you, I, I think there's some really standard things. Um, you can choose to either be your own broker or you can choose to be an assistant or an office manager. And that's entirely up to you. If you're going to be your own broker, which is what I wanted to do, I would definitely advise keeping another job that you can do. My first nine months in real estate were, were tough. It was being Aspen in the office at 8.39, try and find out what I want to do, try and drum up my own business, leave at 2.30, work in a hotel from 3 till 11 and wake, wake up in the morning doing it. And that was fine. But I would definitely have a little bit of cash put away. I always say your first sale is the hardest and you don't know when it's going to come. But if you're going to do it, you should really go for it. Don't try and do it half-heartedly. Throw yourself in the deep end into as many challenges as, don't spread yourself thin, but throw yourself into as many challenges as you can and learn. Be willing to learn. Don't stress so much about the money that you think you're going to make. Try and gain as much knowledge as you can. This episode is sponsored by SH Building Group. The experienced team of professionals at SH Build consists of client, site, accounting, subcontractor, design, and craft building specialists. They integrate the latest construction management technology and offer home guardianship services and advanced inspections. Tom Sherlock and his team helped remodel my home and their attention to detail was unsurpassed. Start planning a project today. Visit shbuilt.com or call 970-923-1122 and tell them you heard about them on Selling the Mountains. You mentioned some of the organizations that you belong to, and obviously things have been a bit different with the pandemic in terms of being able to gather physically. What organizations in the Valley do you belong to that you find great value from? In terms of organizations, I still coach soccer quite a lot. So I'm the head coach of Glenwood High School and varsity soccer team. That's almost my volunteering position, but it's also grown. I've built a lot of contacts from that. I didn't anticipate doing that. That wasn't why I wanted to do that. It was just my way of giving back a little bit. I, I, I like my charity work. So so that's kind of been a, a, a crazy head spin because it's what happened is I, I went into something, again, as you'll probably mention with the bike ride, I went into something to do something good. People have seen that and gone, well, I kind of like you as a person. So can I put two and two together or can we do some business here as well? So another thing that you recently undertook, which is pretty unbelievable and, and awesome, and you actually were honored with the Community Service Award because of it. So congratulations. But 
you undertook a journey where you decided to get on a bicycle and ride from Aspen to Santa Monica, California, which is approximately 1,000 miles through the desert. And you did that to raise money for the Aspen Hope Center. What inspired you to do that journey? Um, so last year, 2020 was, um, was a little bit rough. I had a family member uh, pass away. And due to the pandemic, I couldn't travel home. So I think I had my own area of depression that I needed to just work through and and I, I didn't handle it very well. So it was when I had dinner with a family, they actually went through something similar, told me about the levels of depression and suicide in the valley and it's, it's really high. So I had dinner with that client who had just drove from LA and they were complaining about the length of the drive, which I completely understand. And I don't know what triggered it, but I, I just thought, I, well, maybe I can do something stupid with that distance. And, and riding a bike seemed doable. I mentioned it to a few people that laughed. I mentioned it to some other people close to me who know me as a person. And they were like, okay, well, you're going to do it if you think of it. So let's map it out. And we built a website. I, I never intended it to be as big as it was. It was designed for me to get away for a little bit, but once people bought into it more, I saw that we were able to do something good for charity. So I bought a bike, uh, I bought some bags, some shorts, some literally some tennis shoes, a helmet, and some sunglasses, and I hit the road. And it was fantastic, probably one of the best experiences I've ever had. Um, we raised $26,000 for Aspen Hope Center, and I, I fully intend to do something for them every year but I need to up the game a little bit in terms of difficulty. Up the game in terms of difficulty? Riding a bike through the desert uh, doesn't sound so easy to me. What was, what was some crazy things that happened along the road? Um, I, I, I never fell off, but I, I got hit with construction cones in a sandstorm. I got hit with trash cans in a windstorm. Someone threw like a can of Coke out the window of a passing car. Um, spokes burst, flat tires, leaving my helmet behind, forgetting water bottles. I hitchhiked, which was something I never thought I would do. I didn't tell my mother about it until I finished. Um, I checked into a hotel that flooded. Uh, upon checking in, the lady who um, the lady at the front desk was arrested. As I was checking in, just a, a, a multitude of random events that you just did not see come in and you, you don't prepare for. I tried to do things that would help, like take take mace in case something bad would happen, which I realize now would have done nothing. There was a, a ton of, of just random, really random events. One of the best things that happened was the kindness of people. Um, I was in a town of uh, Torrey, South Utah, and there was definitely no one that looked or sounded like me and definitely no one on a bicycle. And I pulled up to a cafe with eight people inside and the nicest people, everyone was over 70 and, and they've bought me lunch and fed me food and sent me on my way. And, and people would stop and offer help. And it really, I didn't ex expect to see humans like that, especially it was late October and the election was around the corner. Tensions were high and it was, Fantastic. Um, people helped me throughout. I, I definitely did not expect to receive the help that I did. Shifting gears. Recently, you've been in the papers here in Aspen a bit. It's kind of an interesting um, time, obviously, with COVID that, you know, when we were in pretty much a lockdown recently, the mayor of Snowmass made some comments uh, in a public forum that were 
definitely controversial. Um, he basically made an analogy that the COVID-19 restrictions being placed on the restaurant community were akin to somebody putting their you know, knee on the neck of George Floyd, and you know, which is very misspoken. And he, sh- you know, he has since publicly apologized. I know you called him out directly, uh, wrote a letter to the paper. Why did you feel like you needed to speak up about that? Yeah, that was um, an, an, interesting, an interesting time. I um, I heard the comments on the public forum, and the, the first thing I want to say is I didn't respond to that comment because I'm black, George Floyd was black. I responded to those comments because someone died. Like, so, and, and I don't need that to sink into people, but like someone, like some people, a family lost a member, you know, someone lost a son, someone lost a father. And that's not comparable to your inability to go to a restaurant. doesn't matter what, what color or creed that person is. It really just, it, it's not the same. It's not even close. And I know that. I could say that to my six-year-old niece, and she knows that. So a gentleman who's elected to a, a position of office, and again, I'm not, a, I'm not attacking him, but you really need to know that. Um, and I found it just disgusting and upsetting and I spoke to people about it and everyone seemed to feel the same and because of the the bike ride I I suppose I have a a stronger presence with the newspaper as of late and a friend who worked there reached out and said how do you feel would you be interested in writing and at that point I was I was kind of like yeah I, I really do because this is wrong and you're you're elected to a position to do things and just like many people I'm also disappointed that Restaurants are closed. I really am. I want to live a normal life, um, but it's not comparable. And we preach a lot about doing the right thing. And if you see something that's not right, you should speak up. But very few people actually do it. And I think I was just so exhausted with everything that's gone on in the country and, and whether it be elections or the Black Lives Matter movement or just so much going on in the country right now. I just kind of had enough, and I was like, I should really say something. Um, a, a few people came back at me with, a, is this going to affect you, your career? How does this maybe make your employers look? And, and I, I say this in, in, a, in a really appreciative way. I just don't know how much I cared about that. What, what I said needed to be said, and I wish more people said it. I don't think I was out of place saying it. I didn't receive any negative feedback. So I'm, I'm happy and proud of what I said, but I, I do wish more people had said something similar. No, I appreciate you speaking up. I think it means a lot. I think a lot of people are, you know, they're very hesitant to speak up. And like you said, it can, you know, they can, it could have an adverse impact on their career or their standing with their employer. And it's not, it's not easy when you're speaking up against a mayor of, a, of the town that you work in. And, but you, you believed in it and you said it. And I believe that was the right thing to do. And, and how has the fallout since that been? Have you seen more business, less business? Has it had an impact on your real estate practice? Yeah. So I think a few people mentioned like, oh, you, you might lose some people because of this. And if I lose people because I say, hey, murdering someone is not comparable to a restaurant closing, I'm okay to lose that person because that's not going to do anything for me. What has definitely happened is... I've, I've received business from it, not because of my views on George Floyd. I think it's the fact that 
I'm I'm not just someone who's gonna roll over and and do as other people say. And I think that's a good tip for any walk in life, especially when you're gonna have to negotiate something. If something's important to me, I'm gonna fight for it. And I think that's what it showed. So a lot of people have come back with, "Hey, I'm I'm not I'm not selling my house right now, but like let's definitely talk because I like how you conduct yourself as a human being." I make a lot of mistakes, um, and I'm, I'm happy to make mistakes and learn in, in everything. But this has been something I was passionate about. And I think the last three or four months have been kind of big for me, not in the public eye. I've just done a couple of things that have caught the attention of a few locals. And I think whether or not you, maybe if you're right or you're wrong, if you believe in something and you believe you're doing the right thing, then you should go after it. You should speak up for it. And I think that's a good quality to have. I'm not saying people don't have that enough. I'm just saying we shouldn't be worried about what we might lose because we want to do what's right. Is there anything listeners can learn from your experience about you know tolerance uh, in diversity in a mountain town? You know th- when these mountain towns often aren't very diverse. I I think uh, with with that point and with the former question, a lot a lot of people were. How is this going to affect your real estate career if you speak up? Which which made me giggle. Um, what I will say is, in terms of what can what can people do more? Again, I didn't do this for real estate benefits. I did it because it was wrong, and I wanted to speak about it. Um, but it's grown my real estate because I think it's it, it's it showing that you're passionate about something isn't a bad thing. And showing that you're willing to do what's right is definitely not a bad thing. And I believe people want to have other people on their team, whether it's in business or relationships or family, that do the right thing and stick up for things that are right. I didn't annoy anyone in my inner circle. I think certain people in my work atmosphere believe that it might jeopardize something, and it really didn't. So going forward, what people can do is I really just believe if you think something's wrong, just say. You don't have to be the most activist. I, I'm not. You you won't find me. Um, I, you know, I'm not aspiring to be anyone specific. I'm just trying to call people out. And it wasn't to do with my race. I'd like to think if that person was of Asian descent, was a white person, then I would have said the same thing. It's, it's the comparables that we make. So going forward, I think if anyone can take anything away from that, if you see something that you think is wrong, it, it's okay to say. And it shouldn't. You shouldn't be worried about how um, how other people view you because you think you're doing the right thing. If you're doing the right thing, you're doing the right thing. And if you think it's right, then then good good luck to you. You should crack on with that. But it's definitely um, going forward. I think it's it's just should open the eyes to people a lot more that if you see something that you think is wrong, regardless of race, creed, anything like that, then you should call out for it. Shifting gears to a section I think of as more like tools of the trade. So what do you, what do you put the most emphasis on in terms of building your personal brand? I think, I think right now when, when you start out, it, it's great to have a, a big social media presence. It's, it's great to, um, you know, you want to have the best website, you want to be on TV. But if you don't have all those people actually going to the places where you are, I'm not sure how much of a difference it makes. So the best thing I can offer right now as, as growing is physically being in as many places as I possibly can. It's important. I, I may not be the most established broker in Snowmass, but I think a lot of people would 
would agree with. I'm, I'm quite possibly the most seen broker in Snowmass. Um, I'm going to be there a, a lot, whether it's a floor shift or open houses or sit in open houses for other brokers. Anything I can do to be in front of people right now is is where I should be. If, if when growing my business, there's no reason for me to be working from home that day trying to catch up on, on things. I don't have that pipeline of um, returning clients yet. That's just not where I'm at. So being in front of as many people as I can, whether that's having a drink with a client, skiing with a client, having breakfast with a client, anything, that's going to be the best thing for me to really put myself out there and just kind of be as open and as true to people as, as much as I can. In terms of your marketing suite, you know, I think you, you nailed it, right? It's, it's all about networking and that's always going to be the number one driver. But what are the things as a new broker from a marketing perspective that you believe you should be focusing on beyond the networking and, and being visible? Oh, um, so before pre-pandemic, there's, there's a, 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 a ton of events that you can attend. Um, there's Aspen Young Professionals. There's a bunch of societies that you can become a member of to get your name out there. Um, as much as possible. But I think it's, it's going to come down to social media. It's something that I definitely need to grow with. Um, it's it's really hard for me. I'm not a person who likes to be in front of a camera all the time, but it's really trying to put my effort into that when I, when I build up my courage and I'm feeling good to share content with people that matter to me about things that I'm doing well. And then the other thing is, I, I think it's a little, it maybe old-fashioned, but phone calls. And not, not cold calling people, not calling people at all hours of the night asking if they want to sell their house, but calling people that I know, people I've worked with and catching up with them, genuinely checking in and seeing how they're doing. People are coming to town, and a lot of my, I'd say half of my pipeline for 2021 is through referrals. It's, hey, I worked with you. And it's people going home, and Theo was a good guy. He was a pleasure to work with. Um, we liked this. He's learning. He's growing. You should really go with him. Um, this morning, I, I've been with people that were referral from a friend in Vail. Um, we have common interest. And trying to put myself out there as, as much as I can, I, I cannot stress that enough, because I don't have the 32,000 followers on Instagram, and I don't have the, um, I don't have the finances to put into airport advertising uh, around the world or, or traveling to different countries. So right now is while I continue to grow and continue to build, it's physically being in as many places as I can. Let's talk about the brokerage firm. You're with Slifer Smith and Frampton, which is a you know, relatively new brand to the Aspen Snowmass area. Why did you choose to go with them? So Slifer Smith and Frampton, yes, they're new to the Valley and they bought Palladium Properties um, and they've been fantastic for me. So originally I knew some friends or knew some other brokers, sorry, that were working with Snowmass Space Village development and the real estate sales there. Once Slifer Smith of Frampton got the contract from East West, they automatically moved over. So I was very intrigued as to what was going on there from the start. I then, um, you know, had a little bit of lunch with one of them, um, spoke to them. He didn't approach me like that, but I spoke to him about what they were offering, the new broker development programs the base village development, which is $600 million in listings. So it's, it felt like a, a trendier company. It felt more fun. There was a lot more guidance to me as a new broker. Um, and the, and the new broker development program that they have in place for me is, is definitely something I can look to is helping me consistently and I'm growing because of it. It's a very good track program. 
I have development goals that I still have to make, and it's it's really good for me to keep me on track. So as a as a broker for Slifer Smith and Frampton, and tied to the base village development project in Snowmass, how does that work from your perspective? So we have the new developments. So there's six hundred million dollars worth of inventory that's going to be built over the next ten years. So Slifer Smith and Frampton is the listing broker for that. They have teams dedicated to each individual building. Currently, I'm not part of any of those teams. Um, I spoke to my company about it openly. I need uh, more experience. I need more transactions to deserve the right to join a team. So we put a plan in place uh, for me to get there. So individually, I'm a general broker for Slifer, Smith & Frampton, and it's going great. It allows me to see what the list inside are doing whilst also working with buyers. So I'm not double-ending the transaction ever. However, the same people that are listing the property are in my office. Some of them are mentors of mine. So it just gives me both sides that I can see how the transaction goes, have a really good, clear communication with both sides. And it's been really helpful for me from a slifer point of view that I feel almost like I have um, a little bit of an in with the crowd who are actually representing the development. I'd like to finish the show as we're getting towards the end with a few favorites, um, you know, just to kind of get to know you a little better and, and what do you like to do in your when you're not at work, you know, we've touched on biking as one of your pursuits, long distance. We've talked about, um, you like to ski. Do you have a favorite recreational pursuit right now? Anything that I can't do physically. Um, I will give every single, um, sport or or physical pursuit a good go. Um, I signed up for a marathon. I tried skate skiing, which I am terrible took a snowboarding lesson. I, I, the reason I wanted to be on the bike is because I'm not very good at biking. Um, I play ice hockey. Anything that I can't do. I grew up playing football, soccer, and I was good at it because I was the tallest, fastest kid on the team, and I could do whatever everyone else couldn't do at the time when I was young. So being in a position where I get to learn how to do something right now is, is what I love to be. If I had to narrow it down to one, it would be anything on a bike, um, something super hard, um, cycling across the country. I really want to do the Tour Divide, which is from Banff, Canada to Mexico. Um, it's 2,750 miles, and that's definitely something I really actually want to do this year if the pandemic allows. If you have an important client coming to town, where do you like to entertain them? My um, Not yet. It will one day. My budget doesn't allow me to do the $5,000 dinners at Matsu. So I'm always going to shoot for if I'm in a restaurant. I love Tempranillo. It's in Basalt. I know a lot of people don't make it past the roundabout. But um, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to – I'm not going to pretend to be in a position to take people there. So I know the people of Tempranillo well. The food is great. The ambiance is fantastic. It, it's very homely, and I can get to know someone. I don't ever want people to look at me and go, oh, wow, he bought an expensive dinner and he drives this car, therefore he must be great at real estate. That doesn't bug me. So to be honest, the more times I can find somewhere that's a quieter restaurant where I can actually hear what people are saying and have a good conversation, I'm usually in for that. And if I can't do a restaurant, I'm going to be on the mountain skiing with them. And if you're leaving the valley, not on a bicycle, uh, to travel, uh, where do you like to go? I love Moab. I love Scottsdale. Um, I, I miss. I really miss being in England. I miss the rain. I miss. 
I know I, I miss the food. I miss the people. Um, but my favorite place on earth is Australia. I spent a lot of time in Sydney growing up. Um, it's it's by far my my favorite place. Just through the the flight path alone from England, it means we have to stop in Thailand or Tokyo or India, Bangladesh, and that part of the world is just fun for me. Um, I really like to be on on that side of on that side of the globe. You raised twenty six thousand dollars for the Aspen Hope Center with your ride, uh, which is absolutely tremendous. Why don't you help listeners understand what the Aspen Hope Center does and what's its mission? Uh, thank you. Um, they work. Um, they work with support. They work with with those that need counseling, going through depression, um, suicide awareness. When I did the ride for Aspen Hope Center, um, I, I don't. First of all, I don't believe any charity is a bad charity. They're all great, and anyone who works for a charity deserves some knighthood or something. It's awesome work. Um, but what what was important to me is I really, when I was a kid, I, I achieved a lot of things through people taking a chance on me or helping me or putting things in place. So anything that can support kids, I'm usually about it. So with the Hope Center, the money that was raised, that that, that went directly to put in a counselor in high schools and middle schools from Aspen um, down to Parachute. It allows for one counselor to be there for the semester so that any child who's having any negative thoughts um, or anyone under 18, they can go and speak to someone about it. And if that like put bluntly, if that stops um, a child from harming themselves or, or disrupting a family balance, it, then it's worth it. You have to be able to find someone that you can talk to, someone you can trust. And for me, that was the biggest thing. The theme of this episode has definitely been about tolerance, um, diversity in a mountain town, and, and, and understanding that dynamic. What advice do you have for listeners who may be in a mountain community about just being cognizant and accepting uh, in, a, in, a, in a community that doesn't tend to have a lot of diversity? Um, I, th- I think, I think um, if you see something that you don't think is correct, say something. Um, we are people, I, I have this naive opinion that people that are here probably done something well to be here. You've been in boardrooms and situations that you've had to fight for what's right to to help yourself, to promote yourself. And that's normal. I fight for everything if I have a list and appointment. And I get it. I 100% do. So then I think, well, what can we, what can we do that helps others? Can we, can we maybe fight against the mayor because this might impact someone? Can, can we stand up for something? And I think that's, that's important. That tied in with the fact that you're in a smaller community, you can actually have a greater influence. If I lived in Denver and wrote that article, it, it might have just got lost. It stood out here because there's one paper and, and people read it. So it's it's important to know what's going on in your community. I don't believe anyone, anything negative has ever come from anyone doing positive actions in their community to open people's eyes to what's going on. And that's totally fine. If people don't like that, that's also totally fine. But I, I want to surround myself with people that are, are accepting and tolerant and and open to, to new ideas. When I wrote the letter, a lot of the feedback I got was, I completely agree with everything you just said. I just didn't voice it. And hopefully going forward, more people can have an opinion. It's totally, so it's okay to have an opinion. You're not going to lose everything because you believe in, in, in speaking out about something. That's really great advice. If listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to go about that? So 
um, Instagram is probably going to be the best social media for myself. I need to explore, so I'll expand on everything else. But my Instagram is, is Theo Williams twenty five or Theo Williams Properties, and it, it's been great. But if you, my email is is everywhere on on every website. Anything that comes through any social media or phone call or email, it comes directly to me. Um, I don't have an assistant or anything. There's no team. It's it's just me, and I'm happy to talk to anyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Selling the Mountains. You'll never miss an episode if you subscribe or follow the show. If you liked what you heard, please leave a short review and share it with a friend. For more information about Selling the Mountains, including feedback, suggestions, or sponsorship opportunities, please visit sellingthemountains.com and sign up for our newsletter. You can follow the show on Instagram or Facebook at Selling the Mountains. You can follow the host on Twitter at Christian Knapp or on Instagram at Napstagram. This show was produced in collaboration with Dustin H. James at Podborder. Selling the Mountains is a production of Moment of Truth, LLC. All rights reserved.